0: Welcome back to another episode of Basketball Podcast. It's your boy Samuel here, doing this one alone again by myself. Another edition of Playoff Talk, Um, edition six. Got a lot to talk about today. A lot, a lot happened today, especially. Oh my gosh! And I have a lot of thoughts on certain things that have transpired over the last. Couple days, so let's get into it. Um, first, I want to get into some of the game sevens that happened because you know I didn't have a chance to really speak my mind on those on those topics. Um, first game seven that happened was between Utah and the um, the Nuggets. It was a real slog fest. Um, wasn't that it was very. It was a very, very sloppy game. I don't know if "sloppy" is the right word to call it. Maybe just very. It was played differently than the first couple games in the series because we know that the, the games are really high high paced. A lot of offense, not a lot of defense. But this this game really came down to some defense, especially um from Gary Harris. He had some key defensive possessions down the stretch, including a block on one of Donovan Mitchell's jumpers. And then he also caused the strip while Donovan Mitchell was trying to drive on their last play. So he was key, and I feel like he's going to be somewhat key in this Nuggets series, which is actually, I mean, this Clippers series, which is actually going on right now, just crushing the Nuggets as we speak, as I speak. But yeah, um, Rudy bear was dominating. In, um, in the fourth quarter. But it wasn't enough. I feel like they should, if, if Utah wanted to win that game, they really needed some more um, scoring from guys like Joe Angles, Mike Conley, and Jordan Clarkson. But this series really showed that they really missed, really missed Bogdanovich a lot in this series because he was a solid 20 point a game scorer. And they just, didn't, they just didn't have enough firepower in the end. But Jokic had a big game. I believe he get like 30, 30 points or so. And he hit basically the game winner. Um, um, after that game, we heard that Mitchell and the Jazz are going to be agreeing to a possibly $170 million extension. So to all my Knicks fans out there, they're hoping that they could cry on... Dunning I mean, Mitchell away with a trade of some sort. That's not gonna happen. So there's that. It was a really low scoring game, eighty to seventy eight. I mean, I like when I like when these games like when these players they lock in, they really show that they can get get down and dirty and like make some stops and not just let players constantly score on you or whatnot. So that was very I like seeing that. Um, The other game seven that we had, which was actually last night, which, oh, man. Everyone on the timeline just wanted the Rockets to lose. And it felt like it was heading in that direction. So bad. I mean, there was a lot of things going on in this game. You had Lou Dort. What was it? 30 points? 30 points. Um, third most points by Oklahoma City player in a game seven. I think he um, passed James Harden for the most points by a rookie in a game, um, in a playoff game. So that was very, that was very funny because he's going against James Harden, who's the one, who's the record he broke. But... I mean, Dort was basically outplaying Harden for this whole game, and Harden was just showing signs of, like, not even, like, the last couple of years, but, like, from that, that Spurs game where he just did not have it going and he just looked out of it mentally. And James Harden could not find – he could not buy a basket in this game. But he got it done towards the end. I know he made a couple, of late, couple of floaters, had some key assists down the stretch. Had that key block on on, on for the three, which everybody, including myself, wanted him to hit, because it would have been just so funny for an undrafted rookie to outplay James Harden in a game seven. I mean, it would have just it would have been way too good. It was way too good, and the basketball gods they knew that, that that we would be we were just gonna get that. But um, Russ was kind of caring for most of the night. Um. Eric Gordon had some key defensive plays down the stretch. He had this—he um, poked the ball away from Chris Paul towards the end of the game. Um, Robert Covington six threes, huge. And I noticed towards the end that Oklahoma City wasn't, especially Chris Paul, wasn't able to properly um, exploit the the play where they like to have um, CP3 have. Um, new Dort usually has um, Robert Covington on him screen for him and then he has he has um Covington switch onto him and he usually takes advantage of that because I guess Covington is basically the closest thing to a big that they have and he was able to exploit that so but in this game for most of the series he's able to exploit that especially in their wins but down the stretch this game it just that just wasn't working at all. Um, because, um, OKC okay, so had, um, Covington switch off, off both screens instead. But, yeah, um, some things I noticed in this game was Dennis didn't play as well as he did this game. Shea hit a big three, but other than that big three, he really looked shook, especially in that last couple minutes of the game. He just looked like he did not want to be out there. Timeline was calling him Shane Elkina. Um Shout out to Frank, though, because I would love to see him in a scenario like this. But going back to Shay, yeah, he really looks shook out there, and I feel like, you know, this is just the steps that, you know, a lot of these young guys have to take in order to, like, really elevate their game in the postseason because, you know, you have to go through these these little bumps in the road, these little pickups here and there to really develop – your game and the confidence and whatnot. So, being in this game seven is a really good experience for him because he'll know that he'll know what it takes to get it done next time around. But the future is bright for OKC um, with Shea and guys like Dort and Basley who hit some key key um key buckets down the stretch as well. Um, in the last couple of plays too, Adams or Schroeder could have easily cut to the paint the way P.J. Tucker was guarding, I mean, it was just an easy basket, and I don't know what was Billy Donovan drawing up. Apparently, Russ knew what he was drawing up, so there's that. But one thing that I noticed about the bubble is that the bubble is really going to expose the coaching. Um, We're seeing it in the series with Ruben and Eric Spolstra. We're seeing it with... um, what the series is that? We're seeing that with we're we'll seeing the series that's going on Toronto versus um Boston with Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse. I think more of that has to do with personnel rather than coaching. So there's that as well. But um, yeah, the bubble is really exposing coaching and like coaches that don't make these adjustments and whatnot. There, your team is going to suffer because. Of So I am gonna get into um the Miami versus um Bucks series because that series is very, very interesting. And tomorrow or today, if we're listening on Friday, when this comes out, Miami has a chance to go three zip. And if it, if they if my if Milwaukee goes down three zip, I mean that's just basically wraps on the series, honestly. Like I I don't know what's up with what with, you know, with Milwaukee. Um Budenholzer, this is every every time he's in the playoffs. It's just so frustrating. It's like how can you not? It's like people at home see what you're not doing. How could you not see what you're doing? I don't know if it's just like a stubbornness with him, or like he's just he's just stuck in his ways, or like he just automatically just um just thinks that this is gonna work in the end, but it, it's it hasn't worked. And um, some key takeaways I had from game one, because I will get into game two, which was horrible, by the way, with the way that ended. But with game one, Giannis needed to hit some free throws. He had eight missed free throws, six turnovers. It was just an ugly, ugly, ugly game for him. He didn't dominate the way that he usually dominates teams other than Miami. Um, Jimmy Butler took over in the fourth quarter, finished with 40 points. Um, And Philly, I know Philly fans are really hurting on, on that one. They, the, Jimmy Butler is exactly what they needed this year. I mean, you're relying on Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson to create on the perimeter for you. So the end games. It's not gonna work. Not getting. To, we're not gonna get into Philly right now. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Butler was killing. A lot of people su- um suggested that um Giannis guard him, which I don't understand because although he's the defensive player of the year. That's not necessarily an assignment. And Jimmy himself said that if he if if Giannis guards him, that takes away the whole weak side bit. That takes away Giannis's whole strength as a weak side defender. Um, And that's also mainly main due to the fact that guys on Milwaukee can't guard their man. Like, I, and I noticed that even more in game two. Like, Giannis can only do so much on defensive end. These guys just gotta guard their man. Like, there's no reason why the defensive player of the year has to guard everybody's everybody's man. Because I mean. Um, game two, he had Gordon Dragic and um Tyler Hero going off, and is Giannis supposed to guard them as well? Because I mean, that's that's Eric Bledsoe, that's George Hill's man, that's Chris Middleson that that's all they guys, man. It's like I mean, everybody got to step up and play their part in order for them to win. But um, one thing I noticed about um the playoffs is um. Actually, before I get into that, I want to get into Game 2, because Game 2, Bucks were down six late, Jimmy had a turnover that led to an easy layup by uh, Brooke Lopez, then there was a questionable call, very questionable call on Georgia where he stood up basically vertical, had his hands up, but of course you got to give the shooter the space to land, Chris Middleton did not land. And that was three three free throws. Tied the game at 114. So that was a bad call on a lot of people's accounts. So in order to make up for the bad call, they made a, a horrible call on the other end by calling a foul on Giannis at the buzzer, basically guaranteeing that if Jimmy made even just one free throw, that he was going to get the win. I'm tired of these refs ruining in the end of great games. We have games that are going back and forth intense towards the end of the game. You're hoping for, like, a shot at the buzzer to end it. And then you just get these refs blowing their whistle deciding the game. It also happened in the um Oklahoma City game. Um, I don't remember specifically what play it was that happened, even though it did happen last night. I don't know what's up in my memory right now. But I'm tired of these refs going in the end of these games. And then on top of that, you got... They're always bringing in Steve Jabby, and he always, always, always advocates for the referee's call. Even if it's a clearly a blatant bad call, he'll always advocate for them because, you know, those are his boys. And he used to be a ref, so, you know, they never think that they're wrong. But, yeah, that was just frustrating to see. Um, unfortunately, Bucks are down 0-2. Um, some things that... Um, Need to change in game three. First, Budenhozer has to cut the rotation down. Playing too many guys, and all those guys are not playing well. Teams like Miami and Boston, they go a little bit bit deeper into their bench. Their guys are productive. Um, Miami goes, I think, 10 deep. Milwaukee's also going 10 deep, but Milwaukee's not getting the same bench production that um, Miami's getting. Um, also try some different things. Maybe try some more Urson and Iliusova. Um who else, who else should get some more minutes? Um I don't know what's up with Given and that. They're not consistently performing. Have more George Hill and Ursan. Get get those vets out there because those guys they know what to do when it on when, it, when it's playoff time. Um yeah, in, in Giannis and Middleton, I'm tired of Budenholzer playing guys like less than 35 38 38 minutes like you gotta play you gotta play your main guys Giannis and Middleton especially you gotta play them 35 38 minutes this is playoff time this is what you had them playing all those less minutes in the game in the regular season for, because you know you have guys that would um come in and provide during the regular season, but this is playoff time, you know, everything is much more strapped down. So you gotta have your your big guns playing in the in crunch time when it matters the most. And I understand, you know, to Giannis and Middleton, they had fouls, but you know you gotta at some point you gotta you gotta trust your guys to play through these through these fouls, especially for the um especially in the playoffs when you're down in the series. And I hope this changes for game three. Um Another thing I noticed, Giannis, a lot of people, I seen, seen this on the timeline a lot, a lot of people are upset with the Shaq comparison. But, you know, it's kind of fitting the way Giannis kind of dominates in the paint. But what we also got to know about Shaq is Shaq needed a closer, a Kobe. I don't think Giannis can be that at this moment because, I mean, yeah, I don't think Chris Middleton can be that at this moment. So. I don't know what Milwaukee's gonna do in the offseason or what or whatnot, because they gotta get Giannis. Like having a closer, someone that could create off the dribble in playoffs in crunch time, it's is really needed. And we're seeing with teams that don't have that guy, they're the teams that struggle. You had in the first round you saw guys like Luca, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, those guys, they thrived at the end of games because you know they could create off the dribble and whatnot. And you know, that's how you that's how you make that's how you make your money in, in, at the end of the day in the playoffs. But um, I don't know if Chris Middleton could be that guy. We'll see. Game three. Um, let's move on to Boston versus Toronto. So, game two. Marcus Smart was on fire with like. I don't remember. I think it was five fourth quarter threes straight, um, and that basically kind of sealed the deal for 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 Boston at that game. Um, another a, a recurring team recurring theme with um, the Raptors is I'm not having someone able to consistently play off the jungle on the half court offense, especially in crunch time. So. They're another team that lacks that go-to guy down the stretch, you know, that could be that closer. They had it last year with Kawhi. A lot of people this year were saying, oh, you know, they don't need Kawhi. Look at how successful they are and whatnot. But, you know, Kawhi is like, you know for sure what you're getting with him in crunch time. With Pascal, it's like, uh, this is his first time being thrust into that role. Can we really trust him all the way? And we're seeing that. I mean, today... They got the win at the buzzer, 0.5 seconds left. OG and had a big shot. Shout-outs to him. Kyle Lowry had a big game, 31 points. He had some big shots down the stretch. Fred Van Blee also hit a layup to basically tie the game Um, before Kemba had that, dr- that beautiful drive, that beautiful pass to the game about tights. But you got to wonder who's going to be the consistent creator in the fourth quarter this Toronto team because I mean today we saw it was mainly Kyle Lowry, you know, um and some Fred Van mixed in there. But you gotta wonder, can can this be consistent for the rest of this series? Because if not, Boston, Jason Tatum's not gonna have another bad game the way he did today. I don't think so, at least we we've seen Jason Tatum he's consistent consistently performed well in the bubble. So I would not be surprised if he has a if he has a um he has another good game. And Toronto we'll see what happens with their half court offense, especially in the fourth quarter, because that's what it really matters. And we're seeing now Pascal and Fred Van these guys they're they're not they're not gonna be consistently your your guy down the stretch. And I don't know that that's where that's where you really miss Kawhi, and a lot of people said they don't miss Kawhi, but we're seeing otherwise. But yeah, let's um let's move on to what other series? What other series? Let's actually let's get into some NBA news. Um, John Morant won Rookie of the Year as announced today. Another prediction of mine down in the books. Um, and who else won the remember this week? Brandon Ingram, the most improved player. Another prediction I had that went true. So, um, what am I? I'm three for three in awards, so, no, I'm four for four in awards so far. Coach of the year, flex player of the year? Say, um, rookie of the year, and most improved player. Let's see what happens with six men and MVP. Speaking of MVP, they better give that award to Giannis quick before this gets really weird with him being down like three zip and them presenting the MVP trophy just for him to go home. It's giving it's given off serious um, 2008 Dirk vibes when Dirk won the MVP, but um, was it 2007? 2007 Dirk vibes, but he won the MVP, lost in the first round, I mean... That's just not a good look. And then Giannis got the free agency thing coming up. And there's been a whole discussion about if he's a it's just a whole bunch of BS on the time. It's just, Miami's doing a good job of defending him. And Giannis is just gonna have to get into his bag over the summer, which um I don't want to see no more strength more no strength training from him. I wanna see um some low post and some mid post footwork with some like, can possibly, you know, just get in the gym, get right, and you'll be good. You'll be good. Um, other news we got today huge news. Um, Steve Nash is named the Nets head coach. Um, I heard that it was actually, it's been decided since in May. I guess they decided to attend other people. I don't know specifically why. Um, Nash had to be convinced to take the job, which is very um weird to say the least. Um but this led to another discussion about qualified coaches and assistant coaches of color in a mainly black league. I mean, we got guys like Tyleo who is expected to sign with this to sign with the Sixers. Um you got guys like Sam Cassell, Ime Yudoka. He's a assistant under the Sixers, Darwin Ham, assistant with the um, with the Bucks. We got Jerry Stackhouse, he won a League Coach of the Year. We we got a lot of qualified guys. You know, I thought Jack Vaughn also did a, a, a pretty good job with what he had in the bubble. I mean, a very very sparse roster. almost half his roster basically gone from their game season, and he had to basically pick up on the fly um new pieces and integrate them with the offense and. He did a pretty good job, I think, in the ball. I mean, he got struck in the playoffs, but I mean, that was expected. But he's going to be held on as an associate, which is weird because if you felt that like he was qualified enough to still be on the staff and you feel like you need someone of that stature, um, coaching wise, to help Nash along the way, why not just bring Nash as an assistant? But maybe Nash does take the assistant job. Maybe this is something to do with Kevin Durant and Steve Nash's relate um Kevin Durant and Steve Nash's relationship. They've had a relationship going back a while now. I think Steve Nash has consistently worked out with um uh, with Kevin Durant. Um I think he also has a relationship with Kyrie. And I think they just respect him as like a former player. So there's that. I don't think this was an example of like white privilege is a lot of people would like to say. Because I honestly did think that it just has to do with Nash having a relationship with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and him being a former, MVP, former two-time MVP, point guard, uh, a great basketball mind altogether. I mean, and Katie and Kyrie, they signed off on this. So, I mean, the Nets, they they signed Katie and Kyrie with hopes of, you know, bringing a championship to Brooklyn and they want to satisfy those guys. And if this is the coach that they want, I mean, then that's who they'll have. Um... It is weird. A lot of people bringing up the conversations of, like, oh, um, Mark Jackson and Derek Fisher and Jason Kidd and all these former point guards that turned to coaches. I mean, I don't know if I really honestly trust that because, I mean, track record with a lot of these guys is bad as former point guards and head coaches. So, I don't know. We'll see what Nash. I have um, high hopes for him. I hope that he... Um, I that he succeeds, I mean, it'll be nice to see, you know, the Nets. Man, I, care the Nets um, I live in Brooklyn, but, you know, I wouldn't really, really care too much about the Nets. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, with these playoffs, we got um, Boston, Toronto. Now it's 2-1. We'll see what happens in game four. We got um Milwaukee is down 0-2. They gotta win this next game in order for them to stay alive in the series. I don't know how that's going to happen, though. I-, I feel like Miami's got their number. Miami just, Miami just knows how to guard them really well. And Budenholzer is not one known for making adjustments in the playoffs. Um. My predictions for the next round with the two um Western Conference matchups is I got Clippers taking this in, in in five. I don't think Denver can do enough defensively to bother Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard's a machine out there, officially just destroying these teams. And he just he just knows where his spots are on the floor and whatnot. And um yeah I just don't and I don't think Jamal Murray is just going to be able to go off as easily as he did against Utah Utah I mean, Utah's had a very bad defense Um, they consistently played defense bad against them the Clippers can really lock in and as I'm watching this game right now they've seemed to really tap into that zone really locked in Um, with the Lakers and the Rockets Um, initially I had the Lakers in Six, but now I think it might be Lakers in four or five because I think bron is gonna come out super motivated because today was a very very weird day, and there be a Twitter where LeBron decided to actually respond to criticism, I guess, of him online. Jay Williams said that he was a Scottie Pippen to be with um Jordan, and LeBron actually responded with this here quote. Let me see if I can find it in my phone. Um, explain to me what the F I gotta do with the subject matter. I'm over here minding my damn business, preparing for Houston. By the way, I ain't never been nobody but my damn self. So, I mean, that sounds like a motivated LeBron. And I don't know. I hope, I don't know what to say. I hope AD plays like a real big man in this series because this is a series we can take advantage of that so we'll see what happens with him but yeah I think Braun's going to come out with a killer mentality in this in this series and we'll get our battle of LA in the conference finals so I believe that's all I have for my playoff takeaways from the past couple days Um, I'll be back here on sunday night recorded for monday so i guess i will catch you all then make sure y'all check out the links in the description make sure y'all subscribe leave a rating a review it helps a lot let us know what we're doing wrong let us know what we're doing right and catch you next time